Thank y'all so much. Great job. We want to welcome our center worshipers in, and uh, I'm going to ask you to grab your Bible and uh, some space that you might jot some things down. And uh, But before we get there, I just want to talk to you about two or three things. Normally, I grab a chair to sit down and talk to you when I want to visit with you about different things. Several updates I need to make. Uh, over this last, uh, really, two weeks, a number of you have either called, emailed, uh, come by, uh, and just uh, made a request, that, hey, pastor, we would really like to close church back down. That, hey, um, things are getting crazy and the flu season and all those kind of things. And uh, our staff hears that. I mean, we, we watch the news like you do. And uh, the last thing we would want to do is to cause anyone to be sick. But uh, let me just kind of tell you where we are uh, as a leadership team after praying through that and listening to a number of requests. Um, we're going to continue to meet here uh, and worship. And uh, we're going to do that. And we're going to do that, I hope. I mean, uh, just look today. Most of you are doing a real good job with a six-foot circle. And again, uh, I, when I look around, most of you have masks on. You're doing a good job of washing and those kind of things. Is there still a risk when we rub elbows and get to see each other and all that? Yes. Uh, but, but for so many of our church family, they want to keep meeting. And so we want to continue all those that do not feel safe. Uh, obviously, will stay home or stay isolated, and they can come in and watch us and participate uh, every every service. They can see they can see exactly what you're seeing, uh, with the exception of maybe the music on the other side of the street. But uh, we uh, are, are going to continue to meet at this point, unless our officials tell us to close down. But that that's where we are, and and I and I appreciate the input. I mean, certainly those are things to think about and to ponder about, and. Almost on a weekly basis, we continue as a leadership team to just think about, hey, do we have masks? Do we have bottled water? You know, we try to do everything we can with extra sanitation and cleaning. And uh, by and large, uh, so many of you are doing a, doing, doing a great job. And so uh, that, that's the first very, very important thing that I want to communicate with you. Second thing, just to follow up on what John C. Um, and Brian uh, shared and kind of letting the cat out of the bag a little bit for the center worshipers because they're watching this prior to John C. and Brian making their presentation. But this end of this year, 50-50 uh, challenge for us, $50,000 uh, would, again, we don't want to let this epidemic, this sickness, whatever this is, interrupt the work of our foreign missionaries. And, I mean, this would be a real simple thing for us to hit about $32,000. There's a few faithful in the church that'll just, I mean, they'll help us hit that number. And, you know, we can say, well, well, uh, man, that's a, you know, it's okay this year uh, for us not, uh, you know, people are out of work and, and, and that's true. And, uh, you know, there's a pandemic, but man, let's don't let that happen. Our missionaries have got to continue to have funding for them to work. And uh, yes, our church budget needs your help and support. Uh, I shared with you last week, made a reference about Bill McMillan, one of the great stewardship guys uh, for years across the country. And it's not just our church, but all churches now, the general ledger side is starting to wan. It's starting to get tough. Americans did a great job March, April, and May across the board in all denominations of giving to their church. In fact, we saw a little surge there. But June, July, August, and September, most every denomination and pastors I talk to here in our city, 
giving has really trailed off. And uh, I know a number of you are trying to give extra and help, and uh, that, that's very important. But as desperate as our needs are in the general budget side here at our church, man, let's take care of our missionaries. That's so very important. If we could, again, hit that $50,000 mark, that would be a huge victory. And then, I, you know, it's just a dream of mine to be able to, on Christmas Eve, you know that, to be able to share with our congregation how that 480000 or whatever's left right now, hey, it's gone. We're debt free. So let's do all, let's just do what we can. And as the Lord leads you on that, that's uh, very, very important. And now I just want to say thank you. Uh, thank you. As I pulled up yesterday and our grounds were covered with men and women, cutting shrubs, pulling weeds, cleaning up the church campus. I know our building and grounds team, Bill Slack's heading that up. And uh, it just reminded me again, man, there's a lot of people in our church that care. And when people come up here and work two hours and grub with hoes and work and, and haul limbs and all the different things that goes on as we get into pre-winter type of thing, I'm just so thankful. Thankful for a church the, uh, where, where people care about the Lord's work. And so I just want to applaud those men and women that helped, helped yesterday. And I want to thank you. So many of you that have been faithful in your giving. You're here. And those that are at home, we're not saying you're not here and you're not faithful. We want you to be safe as well. But uh, I'm just really thankful for our church. I think our church is in a good place. And then the last thing I want to share is a number of you have asked about our building committee that we're forming and our repurposing committee. We had set aside to try to get that done in late September, early October, running a few weeks behind on that because we had to format those descriptions. We're getting really, really close. The next week or two, I'll announce a church conference, give you some time up front, and then we'll distribute those names for you to pray about, and then we'll select those over the next couple of weeks. But uh, everything's going well uh, on, on, on that front. I want to talk to you today about baptism. Really, that's the central focus of what I want to share with you. We've been talking about the fact that we are specifically who we are, but who is that? And there's been a trend, um, I guess pastors in general have strayed away. It's not easy to preach on religious liberty. It's not easy to preach on baptism. Uh, to be honest with you, those are not my favorite topics. I would much rather speak about evangelism or spiritual growth or discipleship. There's a lot of different things. And so I think maybe from a, from a pulpit ministry standpoint, many pastors, and I'm probably in this category, have stayed away from that. Stewardship, I preach once a year on stewardship. I know our budget and finance love for me to talk about giving. But, uh, you know, I, I, I still believe this. Uh, I guess I'll die believing this, that giving is a matter of the heart. Scriptural instruction is a part of that. But I'm telling you, people will give when their heart is in tune and right with the Lord. When they see a need, people will give. And, uh, you know, uh, no need to beat people over the head with that as far as I'm concerned each and every week. But probably we've gone way too far and neglected a number of these very important topics. And so as, is, as a Baptist, uh, and I've shared with you before why I'm a Baptist, I believe that Baptists are the closest biblical model that we have in denominational work. If there is developed one closer, I'll leave Baptist life and go to that one. I want to cling to the Bible. And, uh, you know, there's going to be some things that are challenging. Do, do you use elder system of government? Do you use 
a standard democracy church body kind of thing? Do you use staff leadership? Churches have to make those kind of decisions. But one thing that we continue to find out is you hear often when it comes to Baptist work, hey, we know who you are. You're the people you can only join the church if you get put under the water. And let me just, let me just lay out ahead of time, they are exactly correct. What's sad about that is they don't understand the magnitude of that being placed under the water. And so today, uh, we're going to talk about a fifth very important step. Do you remember the first four? We started off talking in this series about different elements of who we are and who we are specifically. Just wonder for a $500 gift certificate if you can remember. No, I'm joking about that. But just uh, remember, just wonder if you remember that we started out talking about we are people of the Bible. Man, we are Bible-believing people. We believe that's the roadmap. And then we came back the second week and said, we're people of prayer. We are a praying people. We believe in the power of prayer. And then we walked along this line and said, we are a people of salvation that is Jesus-centered. We believe that salvation comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. We do not believe in a works-based salvation. Our Bible teaches us that our relationship with Christ comes through faith, that's a trust and belief system, and our willingness to turn away from sin and to Jesus for life ahead. That's what a faith covenant is all about, believing and trusting. Even though we cannot see him physically, we believe that he came several thousand years ago, that that he came out of heaven and descended on planet earth lived a human life, sinless, perfect, dying, and not only dying, but being resurrected from that death and ascended into the heavens, knowing that one day he will return. We believe that with everything in us. And I can't wait, because in the end, as I share with our worshipers at midweek, I'm going to be able to say, I told you so, right? But we won't do that in heaven, will we? We'll be so focused on worshiping him, that won't even be our heart at that point but we're excited about his return. A fourth thing we looked at last week was we believe in what? True religious liberty. We will, as Baptists, fight to the death. And many people have. Many Baptists have fought to the death so that everyone can worship as they see fit, even if it's not like what we believe. Now, we know that's a challenge in our culture, isn't it? Because as we tell people, we're a Christian nation. And that's how we were formed, and that's how we were founded. And so what rubs many times is the fact that, you know what, a lot of people here are not Christian now, but we still have to maintain that integrity and that balance to allow them to choose to worship as they see fit, unhindered by our government. Those rights we'll fight to the death for. Now today I want to talk to you about, finally, a, that we're a people of ordinances. We're a people of ordinances, but only two of those And many of you know what those are because we had two clear mandates. And we'll talk about the word ordinance in just a moment. But two clear mandates from our Lord in the upper room just before he went to the cross where he had what we have, what we've come to know as the Lord's Supper, communion. That's one of the ordinances that we continue. But there's also this ordinance that even precedes that. 
and that is this ordinance of baptism. If you open up the Catholic home website, you'll see in there in a tab under Baptist, or Baptist, not a Baptist, but under baptism, a statement that the Catholic Church has made about fundamentals, fundamentalists that believe a particular way about baptism. I, I read that carefully this week, just to get kind of a take what the freshest take from the Catholic Church is. And I just want you to know up front, I love people, period. And I'm not here to cast stones at our Catholic friends or any other denomination. What I hope is that everyone will come to know Jesus in a personal way. I'm not here to agitate, not here to frustrate, but I am here today to clearly articulate the Word of God when it comes to this subject of baptism. And we will use the Bible as we teach today as our basis, not Baptist doctrine, although this will be doctrine because it is what the Bible teaches. But today, I want you to know that that is my heart as we teach about baptism. Also know this, there's probably 10% of the people in this building today, if statistics hold true, that have not been scripturally baptized. And that could come in the form and fashion of many things. So I'm not here today, and uh, I want you to notice I'm looking in the back corners. That's what I always look at. But almost monthly, someone will say, you looked right at me. That's amazing because I just look at that corner and I look at that corner. For instance, Gary down here is always safe. He's far enough I can't gleat or spit on him, but he's also never going to be looked at, all right? So if you really want to be safe, come to the front because I look at the corners. Now, that is unless one of you pull a gun or start causing a disruption. Or if you fall asleep, that's when I come out of the corner and start looking right at you, okay? Got you back there waving, all right? So with our Bibles today, let's talk for a few moments about baptism. We are people of ordinance, and one of those is baptism. And I think it's important that we understand this word ordinances. I just put a little reminder for me in my notes. Ordinances sound very rigid, doesn't it? Like law. And I guess technically it is. Our Jesus gave us mandates that we were to follow. My wife's a, a school teacher, and she teaches middle school math. I want to tell you, if you want to pat somebody on the back, whoever teaches 6th and 7th grade students, they should get the greatest star of all educators. I want you to know that. Now, just think about what was going on in your body, in your life, in the 6th and 7th grade. Do I need to say more? But anyway, she was telling me the other day with great frustration. She said, you just can't believe this. We were getting, doing all this test prep, and all of a sudden, and I said, let me guess, fire drill. And she said, how did you know that? And she said, they left us outside 30 minutes. 30 wasted minutes. And so I let her vent. I was a good husband. I just let her vent. After she got everything out, all of that vigor spewed out, I just asked a simple qualifying question. Well, do you think it's good from time to time for the school to have fire drills? 
Well, they make us. Well, yes, the state mandates that. The TEA mandates that. Your local school board makes sure that happens. Local fire departments appreciate it, et cetera, et cetera. Some authority gave them an ordinance, a regulation to follow. And I asked her, but don't you think that's a good thing for the children? Isn't, and she teaches at Halswell. I said, isn't Halswell ISD at the, the center, the mantra of their things? Hey, we want to improve the lives of children. And Becky, just want to ask you a question. Would it be a little hard to teach a dead child, a fried child? And she said, I'm not telling you anything ever again. But there are those moments when our Lord and Savior, God, man, man, God, said, hey, we're at a significant moment here. When you take this bread, from time to time, when you take communion and bread, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. In other words, he laid down an ordinance. He laid down an authoritarian requirement for us. From time to time, I want you to have communion with other believers And when you do it, I want the focus to be on me and our relationship together. And what a good thing that is. And we also know that our Lord and Savior in Matthew 28 laid down a clear mandate before he left planet Earth. He said, now I want you to go. I want you to win people. I want you to disciple them. Have a relationship with me. But I also want you to baptize them. So today, I want to take you steps further from what the standard Baptist answer always encompasses. Why is it so important that I'm baptized? And here's the answer that I hear time and time again, and I've spoken this as well, and it's true. We're to be baptized because Jesus was baptized by immersion. But can I just tell you, that's a faithful answer, but there's so much more. I want you to jot down three things with me. All you have today is just some sermon space there. So let's just talk about these three things. We'll grab our Bibles and look at some very important pictures. First, I want to introduce you to this thought. When it comes to baptism, baptism by immersion, there's a natural superiority to baptism by immersion. Write that down. There's a natural superiority to that. What is it that people believe when you come to know Christ that there's modes or switches? In February, we're praying at the end of that month that the Lord's going to let us have a great revival here in our church. So excited in a few days to release the speakers that are coming with us. uh, And helping us and partnering. We're going to have a Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night. We're going to be asking you to do everything from pew captain to bringing people. It'll be great outreach going on. We're so excited about that. We're praying that the vaccine will be widespread by that time. We, We think that may be a perfect window of opportunity for our church. But when we say revival as Baptists, we hit a mode button. Evangelism. Now we're going into that mode. When we come to know Christ... There's just kind of this program mode, we tap down, it's baptism time. And I want you to know that baptism is not a mode. 
And when I, when I use the word mode, I want you to understand, it's, it's not a style, it's not a, even a manner, but it's an act. It's a specific act, a definite act, a well-designed act, a God-appointed act. In fact, it is a truth-proclaiming act. And what you and I have got to understand from a background standpoint is if we do anything by diverging from the very pattern that God gave us through the Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles then that right or that ordinance ceases to be. And you know exactly what I'm about to say. Sprinkling does not qualify. Pouring, even trice pouring, does not qualify scriptural baptism. And what I want you to begin to see is there's a natural superiority to immersion. One reason there's a natural superiority to it is because it's universally accepted. I came from the state of New Mexico about three and a half years ago. We had a big deal when I was living for 12 years in New Mexico. There were airports that stopped accepting New Mexico state driver's licenses. Now, man, that's a problem. It's a problem because if you didn't have a passport, you couldn't not only, I mean, you couldn't get on an airplane. And there were literally thousands of people that were trying to travel and all of a sudden, the federal government said, shh, shh, shh. the aviation group said, hey, we're shutting this puppy down. Y'all don't have the proper stamps on your driver's license out there. It's too easy to mimic, to copy. There's all kinds of problems and dangers that could come up with the way the state of New Mexico is doing their driver's license. And there was panic across our state. And it, and it causes major disruptions. But a passport typically is universally accepted. Isn't it amazing that you could go, for instance, we can go from a Baptist church to a Methodist church and we've been immersed and immediately the, the, the Methodists put their arms around us and say, you're welcome right on in. In fact, I don't know of a church of any denomination that will not accept someone under immersion. Across the board, it is superior to any other type of baptism that people are trying to carry on and to perform. But I'll tell you, another reason superior, man, there's nothing more dramatic, is there, than the act of baptism. As someone fulfills that mandate and acts it out, fulfilling these truths and principles. In fact, the influence that it has and exerts, not on just the minds of the, the mind of the candidate that's being baptized, but also by those observers. Turn in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You're going to need to turn quickly, and I want you to scroll down to verse number 20. What are we talking about of this fulfillment? You see, baptism is linked to the very death, the very resurrection, and the very ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I want to show you that in the Bible. It's more than how churches or denominations baptize. It is a pattern that God set aside that should cross denominational lines. It's a pattern that he desires to have with each believer that comes to him regardless of a denominational stamp. And here's what our Bible says. Here's where the words of Paul as he wrote to that problematic church in Corinth. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, scroll down to verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, 
the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Look in verse 21. And since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Just for expediency's sake, slide down to verse 29. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized from the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? Now, look at what Paul wrote to the Romans. Would you turn over there to the book of Romans? Hurry, you got to turn quickly. Romans chapter number six. Now, I want you to scroll down to verse three. Some of you aren't turning. Romans chapter number six. Don't worry, I'm just looking at the corners, okay? Some of those over at the center think, hey, he's looking right at me, and I am right down the barrel of that camera at you, okay? Romans chapter number six, beginning in verse number three. Are you ready? Here's what Paul wrote there. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Here is that thread again. You were therefore buried with him through baptism in order, uh, in, into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I would just suggest to you that baptism by immersion is far superior to anything else. You know what baptism is by immersion? It's a rekindling of grace. Grace that God sent his son to live, to die, to be resurrected, and to ascend for us. And when we go through the waters of baptism, we are physically and symbolically linking our lives with the same pattern that Paul teaches us that is so essential. All of our pastors baptize from time to time. Typically, I'll share something like buried in sin, raised to walk in newness of life, but we understand the picture of that. Here one stands, a picture of death in sin. And then down under the water, the water purification, the cleansing mechanism, if you will. And then raised, raised, new and fresh and clean. Just as our Lord and Savior died, took on all of that sin himself, and was ascended in a glorious body, once again, spotless without any sin. What an incredible connection. Now, I don't know how you would get that if we put plastic down up here today and took some incredible Mediterranean jugs and poured some water on your head. I don't know how we would do that today if we sprinkled or dabbed a little water on you. But I know this, and we'll talk about the word immersion in just a moment, when one is placed under in that fashion, I would just suggest to you that it's superior to anything else. Not because it's a Baptist way, but because it was God's mandate for followers of his. I want you to jot down a second thing. I want you to jot down this truth 
Immersion is the original, and I almost didn't give you this word, but let me explain it, normal and accepted baptism. Baptism through immersion is the original, normal, accepted baptism. That word normal, I know everybody would say, well, well, what's normal? Well, when I use the word normal, I use it in customary, usual, standard way. What's normal? I mean, look around this auditorium today. Most everyone has come to this place with some type of something we would say, well, that's normal attire that you're wearing for church. Look, he has a collared shirt on, or he has some dress pants on. That would be somewhat of a standard, the customary expectation. See, what a lot of people don't understand is, up until the end of the third and the start of the fourth century, baptism by immersion, that's basically all that was used. Coming out of first century, the Lord Jesus and his apostles, they had learned, they had laid such an incredible foundation in fact, when we take our Bibles and we think about the books that made it into the canon of Scripture, we believe that that canon is God-inspired. But we do know this historically, don't we, that there are other books and writings that were written in the first century. We know that, there were, uh, that, that the apostles wrote other documents as well. It's interesting when you go back and look at what we call extra-biblical materials, things that did not make it. For instance, one of those documents is called the Didache. The Didache is a compilation of a number of writings that Paul and others was placed and bound there. And it's interesting how the apostles thought, not in our scripture, but in writing from the first century, in the Didache, they said, and it's interesting, they said when one's to be baptized, they're, they're to be baptized in running water, moving water, flowing water. And if that's not possible, other water. And if that's not possible, cold water. And if you must, warm water. I love that. I love that. You see, it wasn't until fourth century when a priest, an African priest, Novicus, was able to be baptized in a different way than immersion because of some health-related issues that the whole deviation started. I would just suggest to you that when you go back historically, not until after the Reformation when you had Swingley and some others, and, and what disturbs me, especially in our Baptist churches, is that people don't understand that from 4th century to the Reformation, how many people died that were trying to get people baptized by immersion? Because especially across Europe, people began as state governments and religious institutions to penalize and publish and, 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 not, and to just berate people that had a different opinion about baptism. And so immersion is something that we should hold very dear. That act should be something that is extremely important to us. Can we shoot straight for a moment? I think you would say I'm speaking truth. When I say that really in many homes, baptism has just become kind of a flippant thing that you need to do. And it's so much more. 
True, it's not a part of the, the very salvation of one's soul, but it's so very important that we take that step with Christ publicly, sharing with all those around us that we are Christos followers. We are Christ's disciples. And to share in that symbolic picture, dead in sin, purified and cleansed, up out of the water as a new person in Christ. Man, that's important. I just can't tell you how very, very important that is. And any deviation from that, whether we want to say we're going to trice you out of a, a, a pot, whether we're going to say we're going to sprinkle or dab a little water on you, you know, we didn't just deviate there, but down through history began to deviate in this infant baptism concept. People from time to time will hit me up about, well, why doesn't the Baptist church baptize infants? And I always tell them the same two reasons. The first reason we do not baptize infants is because infant baptism is never even mentioned or recorded in God's word. I mean, it doesn't matter how hard you look. Well, Jesus said, let the little children, but he didn't say baptize. Well, what do you do over in Acts when it says Cornelius is home and others? And all the, the whole family, even the kids, were baptized. Isn't that, no, no, again, those were all converted to Christ. They were about to follow New Testament baptism. Infant baptism is never mentioned in our New Testament. And the other reason we don't baptize infants is because it's not New Testament baptism. An infant can't trust the Lord Jesus Christ. They haven't even come to a point of accountability to do that. I would hope, and I think you and I agree, that we worship a God that's greater than that. We understand that there are certain people that are mentally disadvantaged. I hope we worship a God that has a plan for that. And I know some of you are looking at me today and say, well, well, what do you do with people with extreme health issues? I'm not saying there can't be some deviation in extreme measures. But again, the Lord Jesus gave us clear mandate teaching about how baptism should be conducted. And he modeled it as the number one witness for a baptism by immersion. It was the original, the normal. It was the standard way. And by the way, baptism's not an option. You do understand that, don't you? That's why it's just not conceivable for me. I struggle with this. And, and, and I know I'm probably speaking to some especially that are zooming in with us today, streaming in today, that say, hey, I'm 68 years old. I'm too old to be baptized now. And that's a heartbreak for me. Man, I wouldn't want to go to my death with that hanging over my head, not because it's going to impact necessarily salvation, but because the Lord Jesus asked me to do that. And therefore, it, is, it falls upon me as Jesus did his very best and excellence for me on that cross. I then in turn should do the very same thing for my Lord and Savior. Just not conceivable for me for someone to be transformed in Christ and not desire to fill that essential step of baptism. Baptism is commanded. Do you need to turn there or can you just recite it without looking? 
Remember what Jesus said, Matthew 28, 19, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Here it is. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to write down a third thing quickly. And this is just in the form of a question. You'll have to answer it. Can there be any substitute for this solitary position of baptism. Can you and I even dream up or imagine any kind of substitute for this one solitary position of the Lord Jesus Christ? I think you ought to amen this statement when I say Baptist or no one else has the authority to change baptism without special authorization from the Lord himself. That's the way the Lord asks us to fulfill that mandate. And it's anchored in the very positive institution that Jesus formed, that precise observance. And I just ask you, put your thinking cap on. Is it even possible for such an institution with the divine author being God himself to be substituted by these, a multitude of different acts? I mean, is there anything else that God did that by salvation? Did God say, well, now here's the chief mode of salvation, but you know what? Maybe there's some of you that can be saved by this or by this or by this or by this. Of course he did not. Or when it came to communion, did the Lord say, you know what? Why don't some of you substitute some grapes in there for communion? Because some people may not like those stale wafers or how about pizza for communion or how about a Whataburger or how about a buffet let's just have an agape fest up here let's just let's just all gorge do you think he would alter baptism in that particular way hey just Bathtub, shower, a little dabble, do you? Come on. When we think about our Lord and Savior and this concept of is there any sacrifice or substitute that would do? See, the only act known to Jesus and his apostles was baptism by immersion. I wrote down Matthew 3, 16, because that is one of the most clearest pictures of Jesus' baptism. Do you, do you remember these statements? John the Baptist really didn't want to, he, he was hesitant about even baptizing the Lord Jesus, wasn't he? But it tells us in Matthew 3, 3 16, in the river Jordan, did you get that? In the river Jordan. In fact, it gives us a specific location at Elam near Salem because there was much water there. And then the Lord Jesus was baptized and the Bible says he came up out. Here's the exact language. He came up out of the water. Our New Testament filled with those kind of examples. Remember Philip and the eunuch? He wasn't gonna be baptized and Philip said, look, there's some water right there. And the Bible says they went down both into the water and after baptism of the latter, they both came up out of it again, Acts 38, 8, 38. Here's my favorite. Pick up one of those doctrinal challenges you're reading through different books and somebody will say, well, 
Obviously, everybody wasn't immersed because what do you do with the 3,000 people that were saved at Pentecost? I'll tell you what they did. They took those 11 apostles and they may have gotten some of the 70 others that were mentioned earlier in the New Testament. They divided them up. If it had just been the 11 remaining apostles, four hours, 10 minutes, having one minute each to be baptized, they would have had them all baptized in four hours and approximately 10 minutes by immersion under. Is there any other substitute? Think about it for just a moment. Baptizo, that Greek word. You know, when you read Greek literature, I didn't say the Bible, but Greek literature before the New Testament, during the New Testament, after the New Testament. You know, you find something interesting from Greek literature every time that word baptizo is mentioned all the way up through the third and fourth centuries. Every time it's mentioned, it's without exception, it speaks of the same definition, same general meaning. Meaning, it doesn't, mean it, it doesn't matter if it was a literal rendering or a figurative rendering, it always meant to dip, to immerse, to plunge, or to sink. Immersion. A superior act. A normal act. The sole New Testament act. And I just wonder if we can join together and stand firmly and be proud of standing on what the Bible says. You and I are called to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ through our faith covenant with him. And following that, we're called to a scriptural baptism. To worship with him and through him in that death, resurrection, and ascension. After all, our Heavenly Father instituted this. His Son, the Savior, submitted to this fully. In fact, the Bible says to fulfill all righteousness, the Lord Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit was present with approval and blessing. I want you to look at me very carefully and listen very carefully. I don't know what may be hindering your willingness to be scripturally baptized. Some, it may be a voice that says, well, I've already been baptized a different way and that's good enough. And that's something I'm just going to have to leave between you and the Holy Spirit today. Some of you may be listening to our message today and in the very heart of this, you just think you're too old. The window of opportunity, and this is the saddest of them all as far as I'm concerned. When everyone else was being baptized years ago, you just always thought there would be a different window of opportunity and now you look at yourself and you say, well, it's just too late. And I would suggest to you, it's never too late. I'm going to share something and I'm going to risk it all that he doesn't 
kill me. But one of the things that I'm sad that I didn't get to witness was what I have heard reported to me about Sarah Troxell's baptism. I think about people that have battled all kinds of medical issues. One of the great pictures I keep in my office of Miss Rosalie Kuhn at age 89 that we baptized in New Mexico in my backyard swimming pool. It took four pastors around her, but she made up her mind, I'm going to be scripturally baptized. And what a significant step. Significant step because it's such an act of obedience and commitment to publicly be unified with Christ in front of witnesses that can verify such act because the Bible mandates it. And I think when people go through that experience, most would look back and say, I would not trade that for all the world. So today, hear from a shepherd, pastor, heart. Don't put that decision off. Don't let that be a hindrance. The Bible has not changed, nor as Baptist will we ever shrink away from it. We are people of communion and baptism by immersion. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for these few moments we've had today. Thank you for the incredible music today. As I hear those that share their gift with music ability, whether it be an instrument or their voices, I just know that angels rejoice and our Lord rejoices. I thank you when we can come together even in the midst of difficult days. I think about a country that's been through a depression. People died of starvation. People were forced out of their homes. Dusty days, dust bowls. Think about a nation that's lived through world wars, scandals. But time and time again, a nation that has risen above. And Father, as we gather together, on this Lord's Day, we gather together in another difficult time. A time when there are big medical issues and big questions politically. A time when churches are struggling, many wondering who will come back and many that will just never come back. And such a convenience now just to stay in a home secluded. And Father, we know that's, that was never your plan we know from the very start the New Testament church fellowship element is such an important part of the relationship and the discipleship building process that you so desire in every believer. Father, if it would not have been so, you wouldn't have shared the importance of spiritual gifts. You wouldn't have taught us over and over about each of us play a different part. We're all one body, but one of us is a hand and a foot. Another is an eye, another is an ear, but we all play integral parts because of the relational value 
of a New Testament church. Fathers, we come to you today. We're thankful that you allowed our denomination to have gone through so much throughout history. A group of people known as the Anabaptists, many that were put to death because they fought to the death for baptism by immersion, even when their state government said, we will kill you if you try to baptize people in any other way than the state religion requires. So, Father, we do not take this privilege that we have of baptism lightly. And, Father, if there's someone today that is just struggling with that, wrestling with that decision, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just speak into their heart as only the Spirit can do. Father, we love you today. We love our neighbors. Would you, as we make our way out of this sanctuary today and go about our, our week and our work week and our activities, would you make us even call us to be more focused on loving those that are our neighbors around us. Father, we love you today, and we worship you today, and we stand with you publicly in every other way. As we are ichthos, Christos, we are Christ's followers, disciples of yours, and we will stand upon your word in all that we do. In these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.